Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 250. And in today's episode, I'm going to be totally on dog business, and we're going to talk about bringing out the point in the pointing retrievers that are listening to this. And a really odd thing about all this is that I, I, I work with uh, AKC group and uh, HRC group a little bit. And it's just funny because when you, when oftentimes when we do bird introductions, because these people hunt and stuff, when we do that and we put their dogs on birds, I'm going to say a third to a half of a point. Toller's point, Golden's point, a lot of Golders point, uh, Flat Coat's point, a lot of a lot of retrievers point that don't come from pointing lab breeding, so, you know, or it's in there somewhere and nobody knows about it. So the pointing uh, aspect on retrievers is not some freaky thing that you don't see very often. And you do see it. I used to when I used to do a lot of hunt test stuff. I would get people's little cute little show dogs in, you know, because they wanted to get a hunt test title on them, and those little hummers would go point too, very often. So. It's just kind of an interesting thing. I think a lot of the theories about pointing and where it came from, uh, th- there might be a lot more to it than some of those real convenient ones. So anyway, I'm just going to talk about what I've seen and <laughs> what my experience has been. But if if presumably you're listening to this because you either have a pointing uh, retriever or you want one, so go to the very best breeders possible with lots of proven stuff. Not going to get into that. But once you get your dog, how? what's the best way to bring out the point? Now, there is, in this pointing lab world, there is not a black and white, these are the 10 steps, this is going to work. This is how the dogs are. This is all you need to do. It does not work like that. Because if it did... I would be the first one to have it published loudly and clearly that these are the 10 steps that you go through. Because the variety and the variability in what these dogs do and how they start uh, can be pretty amazing sometimes. So over a long, long period of time with working with a ton of these dogs, I've what I've done is just out of trying to be as successful as I can training other people's dogs, how do we get from the start to where we want to get, which is a finished upland dog that does all the finished up or waterfowl stuff as well, how do we get to that point? How do we bring that out? Now, depending on what part of the country you're, you're in and who you talk to, you get um, you can get some different, somewhat uh, opposing kind of stories about that. And people teach by what their experience is. And if they learn from the pointer guys what to do, then they have that approach. And if they learn kind of the tough guy way, which there's a whole school of that out there, then they use that approach. You know, and I'm not really capable of just sticking in one boat and doing something. I've probably tried a little bit of everything and frankly found that sometimes you've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to vary what you do. But I'm going to talk about what seems to work best overall. Now, regardless of whether you got the world's most super duper fantastic pointing puppy or you got one that has that potential in there, but it's not right at the surface 
or you've got one that could or couldn't be, kind of depends on what you do. You got it, they're all you don't know what you've got. And if you're, you know, if your breeder says, Oh, this is going to be the greatest pointing lab you ever saw, it might be, or it might take a little while to dig that out. Or sometimes it's not there because it's just like anything else in any given litter of retrievers, you're going to have very variance in the desire to retrieve. You know, you might have the fire breathing dragons that you can break two legs and they still go hard or you may have some that are kind of ambivalent about it but you can bring it out and you might have some that are just like well all right if you really want I'll go get it so you can have variability in the best of breedings on the retrieving desire and you can have the variability on the pointing labs also on their pointing so what you need to do is just be aware of that and deal with what you see. Now, we're, I'm going to talk about bringing out the pointing. Um, and if you have a retriever, I'm going to say always be working on bringing out the retrieving because the desire to go get that bird is what makes them hunt. So if you want them to be good upland hunters, you want them to really want to go get the bird. And so part of this is to make sure that throughout all everything you're doing, that you are doing what it takes to enhance and make more passionate the desire to retrieve. Because desire to hunt upland is directly proportional to desire to retrieve in our retrievers. I know in the pointers, and that's not so much the case. But or it doesn't have to be anyway. But in ours, it is. If they don't really want to go get that bird in their mouth, then they oftentimes don't really want to go look for it because there's no reason to. So make sure you keep your retrieving good. Um, bringing out the point. The, the best thing to do in just about every single case is when you get your little 8, 9, 10-week-old puppy home, and I know life makes this hard to do. I understand that. But it still it needs to happen. <laughs> Is to get the little guys on live birds when they can understand what's happening. Now, contrary to many prevailing beliefs, these little guys do not come born knowing what they're supposed to be doing. They are not born ready to become a big pointing retriever they are just a puppy and they don't know stuff and they have these uh, intrinsic desires that don't you know they don't know why when you throw the sock down the hallway you they run and get it they don't know they just have this compunction to do it and so you take advantage of that and same thing with upland birds they have no idea okay we're going to drive a long ways and you get out and there's this huge field and in there's there's going to be birds that are hidden in the stuff and you're going to go look. They don't know anything of that. They, they, they just know mom, food, peeing, pooping. They know that stuff, you know, getting picked up and hugged. That's about all they know. So you need to know that going in and then you want to introduce them to birds. Now, here's where people start to make uh, what I would call some mistakes. Nothing's really a mistake when you don't know what you're doing, right? But I mean, that's why I do this podcast, so I can at least help people out. But they want the dog, so what do you, first thing they do is they put them on a big cord, 
that way they can control them and because I don't know why you would want to control them it doesn't know anything it just doesn't know anything so it and you want it to smell the bird and then you want it to point it and then it'd be really cool if it flew and they went caught it brought it back oh all these things you have in your head throw all of that out I would just throw all of it out if we were standing there you and I together with your little dog I would have nothing of that <laughs> the first thing I would do I'm going out with you and your little bitty puppy it's nine weeks old, ten weeks old. And, you know, the vet said, yeah, we got enough shots and stuff. You can take this dog out in the field. Make sure you're always in a safe situation, not a dog park where there's germs and all kinds of nasty things on these little youngsters. And I would have a quail. That's my favorite. That's my favorite bird, period. But that's my favorite on these little guys because they're little, right? And the first thing that I like to do with these guys is have one that's already been used and shot or whatever and it's and it's uh not alive anymore if i have to use a live one i'll use a live one but i like little dead ones and i wriggle it around in front of it and rub it on it and throw it and you know just make it like oh what is that like you would a toy and get that smell into their little noses and into their little heads it's the heads that count guys not the nose so much nose is just the avenue that it takes into the head and so guess where they, and a lot of times you'll see them just get very, uh, the ears perk up and it's just something like, what is that? Coolest thing to see. If it has absolutely no recognition of that and nothing to it, then the little dog's brain is not quite ready for that yet. You know, if you just throw this little dead quail over there a couple feet, two, three feet, and the dog just goes back somewhere else where it was smelling something, Try it one, one or two more times, and if there's nothing registering, stop. This is not like, oh, my God, this dog is never going to hunt. He doesn't like birds. It's none of that. It's that the brain is not computing anything right now. It's just in that newborn puppy thing. But if, it, when, if you have one that does recognize that, or you wait another week or two or three, and you come back and you do it again, and you get that little recognition of that smell, Again, understand, folks, they don't know what that means. Ah, this is an upland bird. And I must, they don't know that. It's just a very compelling smell. So you get it where maybe it'll retrieve that if you have a little dead one. Sometimes I had one recently. Facebook, right now on my Facebook page, training retrievers and the ones that point, you'll see a bunch of four, three, four, five puppies. Uh, different breedings that are on there that have been introduced to birds. And those little hummers, every one of them just locking up. It is, go on to Facebook page, training, training retrievers and the ones that point and see those little guys. No one's yelling. No one's saying anything. There's no courts. There's no nothing. There's just, see what happens when, and there's one the first time ever. First time it saw the little bird, I went and just put a quail down just in some grass where the quail would just sit for a second. And then the little bird, the little dog comes up and smells it, and you can just see him kind of, I'd already let him sniff it, right? So he knew the smell a little bit. And he goes out there, and he, and then the bird flew not real well, just about 10 or 12 feet over. He just stared at that. Now, here's the part where everyone wants to jump in, encourage, and do the hunt em up stuff and all that. We did nothing because there was so much going on in that little dog's noodle right there. Something about the smell and the sight and the, the sound of that, those bird wings, all of that was kind of steeping around. 
and he was trying to figure out what to make of that. Any intervention I have breaks that. It just breaks that. So the bird flew over behind another thing, and he goes over there. Then he goes back and checks again where he'd found it the first time. Of course. That's smart. Maybe there's another one over there. He goes, listen, but there's not. And so then he walks back around, and then he sees the bird. And they're basically the same level. He sees the bird and just freezes. And then that little tail goes straight up and just thwink into this most beautiful point. And the quail's looking at him about three feet away, and he's looking at the quail and the little tails. And all of a sudden, he looks back over at us and wags his tail like, wow, this is cool. And then looks back at the bird, and the little tail just doinks again, and he just stops. And I mean, just to watch the light bulb start to flicker on. It didn't just like come on full out. He's got so much to learn. But we got to tap into the insides of this little pointing lab puppy and bring out the point in them. And it was just, it was the most perfect film I've ever seen on just watching the light come on. But the encouragement, the involvement, the, okay, and as soon as he finds a bird, let's just stop him because then we'll teach him that that's what he does. But really, most of the time on these youngsters, what you're teaching them when you're doing that is that um, I'm going to stop you sometimes. I don't think they have any context. Oh, that's because you smelled the bird. And, and that, and I, they, don't, they don't do that. That's us. They don't do that. They're just like, can't go. Now you are in the middle of this puppy and this bird thing. And you just don't belong there. When you want to develop the point in these guys, you allow the thing between the dog and the bird to grow and develop and get an understanding there. And the more you are involved and the more you intervene and put yourself in the middle of that, the less they learn. And the kind of, <laughs> kind of I don't know, probably not politically cool uh, example I give is just like, you know, if you're a guy and you're real interested in girls and you're 14 or 15, 16, and your mom is going to help you. She's going to go with you. She's going to tell you what to say, where to sit. She's going to tell you, kind of, no, don't do that. Do this. I, you're going to learn a lot more about your mom than you are about girls. <laughs> so if your mom just said, you know, be home by this period of time and don't do anything stupid and then lets you go and spend time with the girl, that's how you're going to learn stuff. You're, not, you're going to learn some good stuff. You're going to learn some stuff not so good. You're going to learn stuff. But with mom in the middle of it telling you everything, you're far more learning a lot more about mom than you are this other world that you're really interested in. And it's so true with these guys and the little, and the little birds. And ladies, it goes the same way with you. Whatever, it's same thing. I think my point is made. So you've got to not intervene, particularly on the little guys. And that's usually what I see. Everybody gets that, got them on a long cord. So now we have this thing constantly nagging them and reminding them of your presence. I don't know what good you think that does. Getting ahead of the, they're like, well, we'll just teach him now <laughs> what to do. And then when he gets older, he'll know and it'll be a lot easier. And it doesn't work that way. The youngest Forex GMPR uh, ever so far, last that got it last year, 
uh, w was done exactly like this. Birds, no intervention. Birds, no intervention. Pointed and started chasing. All of all the stuff that happens happened. No big corrections. No nasty stuff. Dog gets a little bit better. Gets dechased. Anyway, then she just was a four time by I don't know fourteen months something like that. <laughs> That's pretty good. And it was not because they, there was a hurry. It's just because she was raised this way with birds like this so she really got to develop an understanding of birds and how to use her nose how to use her eyes how to use her hearing how to use some other stuff they have that I don't have I'm not sure what it is but the more that you get in the middle of that the less it's going to be able to develop the way that you would like so that it's like now what I'm talking about in this podcast and every other one I'm not just talking about how do you go pass an APLA test. I'm talking about how do you have a dog that really goes wherever you go, whatever kind of bird you're hunting, and they really point and they really understand their job, and you're not having to use your electric collar, and you're not having to yell and whistle and tell them what to do. If you're hunting and they go over the hill and go on point, you don't have to be standing there telling them to stay on point. That's what I'm talking about is the real thing. The one that the pointer guys would watch and go, hey, that's pretty good. That's the kind of approach I'm talking about. Not just, if you're just into test passing, then probably I take too much time. But I want it to be for a lifetime of the real thing. And that's what we're talking about. So that's how we start. Un unfettered. Let the dog understand this. Some of them will lock up like the, like the ones on the Facebook page. Incredible. They, but then they don't stay locked up. Then they chase. Yes, do not stop them from chasing because that makes the bird bring about trouble. And on a young dog, if you do too much of that and birds start getting them in trouble, they stop looking for birds. Or they'll go look at it and turn away to prevent getting some correction, a jerk on the, whatever you do. They have to, for one, learn how to, and it's not the nose. I've said this so many times. Everybody, how good at the nose is it? Yeah, you have to have, dogs have noses so much better than we are that I don't, it, it's amazing. It, usually it's not the nose that's the issue. It's the computer that up in the head that decides what to do with that information coming in from the nose. Another reason you do not want to interfere with that when they are learning, when they're smelling stuff, smelling where a bird used to be, that's different. Where a bird was but isn't any longer is different than where a bird is. They can differentiate that. They can differentiate a bird that was just there or a bird was there, but it's been a while. Only if allowed to do that. So there's so much, while you're in a hurry to get this finished pointing lab, a pointing retriever, they're just figuring stuff out. So they need to learn about smell. And what does that mean? And how long does it take them to process that? And does that smell bring good things? Or does that smell bring trouble? It can't bring trouble on these little guys. And then they have to learn, oh, it, it really smells like one, but it's not there. So I need to look or track it, look further. But you have to allow them to learn that and not direct them to do that. One of the worst things you can do on little guys or anybody, but especially on these little guys, is you know where the bird is, right? This is, for new people, it's almost 100% of the time. They see the birds over there by that brown stick, 
right? They know it's over there. So they are just walking over there and pushing the little puppy that way. <laughs> it's like, that's pressure. You, you're just all excited. Come on, let's go. It's right over here. I got to get you right over here downwind. So they feel that. They feel your anxiety. They feel your anticipation. They feel your pressure. And suddenly there's, this doesn't seem as fun. You can't push them. You can't drive them. You can't lead them to it. All you need to do is give them the opportunity to encounter that smell and then stay out of the way. Now, another thing that happens when little puppies do, they go on pointer, they're just sort of stopping. You can't really tell is it a pointer or not, but they're stopped. Okay, stay out of that. But also, when a little point, I don't care if they point or they, they are just hesitating, don't go running up. That's pressure. Whether you think it is, whether you intend it to be or not, when you go moving in on that dog, they feel it. And they're going to do something in reaction to that instead of engaging in this bird thing. This stuff I'm talking about right here is so important. And it's so counterintuitive. It's like, let's lead him up there. Let's get him up to it. Okay, he's downwind. And then when they don't, if they don't get it, then you bring him back. And then you, and you go to, or you stand there. You just stand there. So what are, do you do that hunting? Do you just go stand? Here, there's a field. Let's just stand here. <laughs> you know, you, you're moving through the field or through the tree line or through the plot. Whatever it is, you're moving through it on a, so that they can encounter the bird that's from a downwind position. When you just go stand in front of a bird, what are you expecting them to do? Right? They're not going to go, oh. It must be in front of him because he always goes. That, that's nothing you want to teach a dog. Just stroll by the downwind encounter. And if nothing happens, keep going and stroll by the next one or come back around. But it has to be just like, yeah, here we are, just walking through the field so that they do not feel that pressure because that can do have all kinds of bad effects. So when they start pointing and they're little guys, they're going to point, and then most of them are going to finally catch themselves and go after the bird and chase it. This is why you want you would like to have either be in a heavy enough cover that they can't just go grab it. But if they do, just get it. Do not feed any negative energy into that. Just get it away from them. You do need to have, if at all possible, birds that can fly away, and the little guys can't chase them halfway across the county. But... In the beginning, guys, they got to chase. Birds are awesome. Birds are fun. They smell good. They fly. And you've got to get them what, what everyone always calls bold on birds. And you don't get them bold on birds in two weeks. You get them bold on birds in the, in the early months of their life. And you can't start reining them in until they are old enough to understand more of the control stuff that you've done on your basic obedience kind of work. So that's, I don't know, that's just really, really important right there. So, and if you put the big old long cord on it, it's just a continuous nag because now they're feeling pressure around their neck or wherever you got it, around their waist, I don't care. Then they're feeling pressure there. So you're in the middle of all this all the time, ready to correct and instruct when possible. Not on a young guy. Again, this is like your mom on a date telling you, no, no, don't sit that way. Sit up. Don't eat that way. She's going to think you were raised in a, in, a, in a wolf den. You know, you don't want that. So stay out of that with your puppy. Now, on a little guy that points really well, 
at some point they're gonna they're gonna the pointing time is gonna shorten and the bird chase is gonna come faster and more emphatically because why should they keep pointing they haven't been any rules introduced yet so they're gonna chase that now when the dog starts to become old enough where they're just maybe they're they go to flash pointing some do some keep pointing but the point usually shortens and so what happens then is they flash point and they go in on it you got depending on the dog's age if they're still kind of young and this bad habit has started then the thing to do is kind of step out of the upland field for a while you can still walk through the field and practice that connection and staying in gun range and you're with me and you go where i go and all that stuff still continue to practice that but you don't want them if they're real young and they're getting real aggressive you don't want them to continue to learn that yeah you just go do whatever you want chase all the way just do whatever kind of step out of that if they aren't pointing you need birds that as soon as they even get close are gone so a bigger good flying bird i don't use the launchers because they can smell a launcher from 100 yards away and they figure the game out so i don't i want a dog that's that's gonna hunt wild and hold be over the point wool broke and not move and all that kind of stuff so i don't use any artificial stuff because they'll start pointing launchers if you do that consistently enough or they'll smell a launcher and stop immediately because they know it's going to launch and they don't want it in their face so that's one part of this stuff so you either back off the upland for a little while and still go walking through the field and still be doing your retriever stuff and work on getting some of your control now one of the best ways to bring out don't we're not i don't believe in any electric collar stuff on a little guy i just don't that upland field should be their safe haven you can always use heavy cover to prevent too much craziness or you can just stop the birds for a while and on most dogs you know i did g for a long time um, she pointed she'd point like two minutes in the beginning as a as a 10-week-old puppy she'd point for two minutes and then it shrunk down to about five seconds <laughs> and then we were flash pointing and going in so i just pulled her out i pulled out of the upland field on that one for probably i don't three or four weeks maybe and really worked on the obedience control stuff i'm going to say she was maybe at that point six seven eight months old so we just we got we got force fetched we got collar conditioned um we got all so i had some control things that she understood that were not associated with upland birds and so then <laughs> so then it was like all right now we're going to go back and i'm going to de-chase and i uh, and de-chase there's several ways to do this um there's several ways to de-chase i have the way that i do it and there's a couple dogs where i've de-chased that's with the collar around the neck and as soon as they initiate a chase on a bird pointed flushed whatever um i call them back to me i have a whole podcast and the book really describes that everything i'm talking about right here is well described in training the pointing labrador book so in great detail but i saw so i'll de-chase a dog and when they can no longer pursue a flying bird but it doesn't have anything to do with the bird it has to do with all that obedience and control stuff control stuff that we did a lot of times man there's no reason to ever break on a point 
So then if you just wall break them where they realize it's not their bird ever, which is really what woe is, guys. Woe is it's not your bird. <laughs> it's mine. And so once you've pointed out to me, you are finished. That's what woe is. So <laughs> if you de-chase and then you get the woe stuff going, then you pretty much have things getting solidified. Now there's doing it without a lot of talk. Um but this isn't a how to do that. I'm not going into that detail here. So you don't do it by constantly saying wool 400 times, right? One time ought to really do it. <laughs> Otherwise, they aren't wool broke. And the de-chase should happen in a couple times, and then you're done. And you just m make sure you never let them slip on that, and that that's one of the biggest safety things you can have. There's another method that the pointer guys use where instead of the electric collar around the neck, they have it more around the belly. And, and of course, I've just said, oh, I'm opposed to that. That's terrible. You know, or the cord stuff. You know, you go in and stop them. And all I can say is I actually, it's, there were a few dogs I had where my, I did chase and I did everything. And I still, I'd get a flashpoint move. And then they just sit down in anticipation of not going. And it just was ugly. And so I've actually a couple times on a couple dogs done the cord thing where it goes from their neck and then around their waist and between their legs and you stop them. I've had that work a couple times. And a couple times, and I'm saying this to the whole world, I've actually used that belly collar thing, which I just hate the idea of. I hate it. But I wasn't able to, all of my stuff wasn't working, and I tried that and it worked. Um, took once, one time, maybe once or twice. That's it. And would I do that? There's a lot of dogs. If I did that, I would ruin stuff. But there were some dogs I just couldn't change the thinking in their head. And so it did that. But these are dogs that are more like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 months old that have understand control, understand enforcement. They're very clear. on. If you just do this cold on a dog that you haven't done this other stuff, boy, I, that you are opening a can of worms with that thing. So... You may have to stop for a while. If your dog never points on this stuff and you and you try these things at an age-appropriate time, perhaps your dog is not, you know, just wait. Just give it a break. I had one, there's, I've had, there was one dog who never failed an APLA test all the way to four time. Never failed at all and never failed an upland field. He didn't point, and I had him, well, I got him at 18 months, so he didn't get the young dog stuff. That probably would have made all the difference. But I had him for quite a while, all the way to where he's handling and stuff. He never pointed for me, never. He was a flushing machine out of really good pointing lab breeding. And so then his owner took him and went hunting where the pheasants stuck because there was snow and stuff, and they sat there. Dog started pointing. Came back, and we sailed through to a four-time, never failed a single test. He was that reliable and that good. But that wasn't until he was over two years of age. So I would say never say never. I've had some dogs that I have no reason understanding what happened, but click, they started pointing. Um, but they were also de-chased and under control and stayed in gun range. The, the, the upland field was not the wild and crazy place. Um, they knew, stay in gun range, stay with me, you can't chase birds. And poof, they started pointing, you know, later than I would have liked. But the real key to that is those little guys. So I know if you live somewhere where you can't get on birds, I'm sure there's somewhere a game farm 
even if you have to drive a couple hours where you can go, it's worth it. It's worth it. I'm sorry. Every weekend for a little while, if you can go out and just get a few birds, and when they tell you how to do it and put the cord on and all this kind of stuff, you know, at least just try what I'm talking about. Don't be the mom on the date, right? Um, see if you can let the, these little guys figure out. Look at the Facebook page if you get on there and watch those little guys. It is an absolutely fabulous site. And those guys are going to have dogs now that point, understand the game. And when they get, and it's going to be a while, they're not going to be. Pretty soon we'll have videos of dogs busting and chasing. And that's okay. But I hope we can continue the videos till you see them start, you know, really becoming really uh, seasoned uh, upland dogs. But you don't get them all perfect right off, right? Again, it's like the Dayton thing. It's, you, you don't start out at 14, you know, being this suave, debonair kind of thing all the ladies like. It takes a while. And it's the same thing with this. So, but birds, 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 not catchable. Go to the effort. Uh, if you try to hurry stuff up with artificial stuff, you know, in getting involved too much, telling them what to do, correcting, dogs will reflect that. They will not go out there with 100% of heart and soul, bold on birds, knowing this is my greatest love in life is doing this stuff. You won't have that because they got to be worried about doing the right thing and doing what they're told. So you can get them where they're awesome. If you have just a little bit of patience and take the time and let the bird and the dog work this thing out between themselves and just keep your other work outside of that. Don't train over there in the upland field. Go do your retrieving. Go do your control stuff and let the upland field be where they figure out why they're on the earth here. So that's today's half hour um, on bringing out the point. Uh, you know, I, I keep if you can, like I said, go to Facebook. Those little guys are perfect examples of, of what I'm talking about. And it's just and we'll have them doing stuff they shouldn't do. I, I think I got one of somebody catching a bird or something. I'm going to put that on there because that happens and you don't get upset and it hasn't ruined them. It's just part of the process. So I wish everybody well. Season is just going hot and heavy. And uh, let's uh, good luck to everybody running events. And I will be back soon.